My name is Steven Yo, and I am married to Cami Yo. Uh, she works as a preschool teacher at CMDS, and I am a user experience designer at InterVarsity. I was born into a Christian family that went to church all my life, but I think I, I fell in love with the Lord when I was in 11th grade. In the beginning, I thought evangelism was like, talk to strangers and talk to people anywhere just tell them about the fact that Jesus saved them from their sins. But we are learning that it's more than them saying yes. It's actually about them learning to become disciple makers themselves. So what we decided to do was stick to the closest proximity, which is our neighborhood. I think the biggest challenge or challenges are, are the fact that you feel like you didn't give like a good introduction and or, or something like that like you didn't do it right um, another challenge is just kind of people ghosting you they just say they would they're they sound really excited when you meet and then they just kind of disappear the encouraging passage for us has been mark 4:26, and jesus says um, the kingdom of heaven is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. So my, I knew that my job was to be a seed spreader, and somehow, some way, it grows, and I give all glory to God. I think there are so many reasons why the mission is important in the Bible, but I just kind of think about the timing of Jesus. So Jesus dies, he rises again, and he has all authority and he's about to leave and he wants to say one last thing to his disciples. And he says, go and make disciples. That should have some heaviness and some reason why we should remember it and, and, and take it to our heart that that was actually the last thing Jesus wanted to tell us. And I think missions is more than just something that Jesus wanted us to do because he wanted us to do it. I think missions was something that Jesus knew that would give us full life. I honestly think when I invest my time and my efforts in people and making disciples, I, am, I get to experience more lives than I could have on my own. It is so much more fun and exciting and wild and crazy when I try to reach out to people and get to know them. Um, I really do believe that if you want to see crazy things, that you must start doing crazy stuff. And this is where you get to actually encounter God and see that God, He is alive. He actually brings light to darkness and He brings hope to the hopeless. And it's a joy to be able to do that. Stephen, yo, we need more crazy. I love it. One heart. I love Him. And that's what rocket propels my relationship with Him. One way, I trust Him. His way is the smart way. It's like laser guidance to just the right target. One truth, I believe his word, and his word 
is a way in which I can leverage my humble efforts and accomplish things that only can be accomplished by the hand of God. One life, my very life is in him. And today we're going to talk about one mission. So far, these are five essentials in the over, Overcomer Toolkit that sustains prevailing faith until Jesus returns. Because I live in him is where it starts. And we looked at that last week. Once the light bulb is turned on, then I love him for what he's done. I trust him. I obey his word. And today, because I am alive in him, I also bear fruit. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, you might be saying, what kind of fruit? Great question. Let's ask Jesus to show us what we can do for him. Let's pray. Jesus, we would like you to open our eyes today. We would like to catch a glimpse of why you have left us on this planet and that we would say yes to you and the mission that you have given us with all of our being. Show us what we need to learn, whatever it is. In Jesus' name, amen. From aboard the aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham, Lincoln, on May 1, 2003, standing directly under a banner that said, Mission Accomplished, President George W. Bush declared, In the Battle of Iran, the United States and our allies have prevailed. Bush's words became known as the Mission Accomplished speech. He drew some criticism because the war in Iraq continued on for several years thereafter. In fact, there were quite a few casualties after that speech. Jesus said something similar, mission accomplished. And he actually did it twice in the last few days of his time. For example, in John 19.30, on the cross, this is what Jesus says, therefore... When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And it's all just one word, thy, which is the perfect passive of teleo. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus was on the cross. And then he says, mission accomplished. And he releases his spirit. What was the mission? We understand that from John 10, 19. Here's what Jesus said earlier that helps us make sense of what happened on the cross. He says, no one has taken it, he's referring to my life, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it back up again. This commandment I received from my father. When father gives a commandment, he imparts with it the authority which is both the permission and the power to do it. And so before coming to our planet, here's what transpired. Father said to Jesus, go to earth, give up your life for this people, then pick it up again. That was the commandment that was given to Jesus. Go to this earth, give up your life, pick it up again. So when Jesus is on the cross, and he says, to tell us thy. Basically what he's saying is mission accomplished. 
I have fulfilled what God commanded me to do. You told me to come, lay down my life. I have done that. And then he picked it up again. There's a second mission accomplished utterance from Jesus that actually shows up in the upper room discourse. He says in John 17, 4, this, remember, we looked at it last week, this is Jesus praying to the Father. And he says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And the word accomplished is another Greek word, but it's a related one, what's called a cognate to the one he used on the cross. It's teleao, not teleo. And basically what he's saying is in this prayer, I accomplished the mission. Well, what mission is he talking about? Is that the same one that happens on the cross? No, it is not. Jesus actually identifies what this other mission is by citing a different commandment. Father told him, go to earth and die. And on the cross, he says, mission accomplished. But here from John 12, 49, listen to what Jesus recalls. For I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. In other words, Father said to Son, to Jesus, go to earth and die. On the cross, he says, to tell us thy. Also, Father said, communicate this message. Here is vital information that a certain group needs. Communicate it. And in the upper room discourse, he says, teleao, done, mission accomplished. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it? What was this message? Jesus came to our earth to accomplish two missions, die on the cross and deliver vital intelligence, vital information. By the way, sidebar, this is not the finished mission. Jesus has one more that he is going to do. He hasn't done it yet, but Jesus refers to it in Luke 12, verses 49 and 50. He says this, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Did you hear what he just said? I have a mission, a baptism to undergo, Father told me, come to this planet and give up your life. You're going to do that. And Jesus said, I will. But he also says, I have come to this earth because I am actually laying the seeds for another coming. And in that coming, there will be the pouring out of justified wrath. His first mission is a rescue mission. He has not yet come on a retribution mission, but that's coming. Fire is coming. But that's not what we're going to talk about so much this morning. So what is this intel delivery mission that Jesus is referring to? In the upper room discourse, in the high priestly prayer, he says, I have finished the work you gave me. Well, we actually get some identification from Jesus as to what this is. For example, he says in John 17, 6, in that prayer, here's what I did. I manifested your name to those whom you gave me. In verse 8 and 14, he says, I gave them, referring to the 11, the words you gave me. 
1712, he says, I kept them in your name and guarded them. So if we put it all together, what Jesus is saying is, I finished this work. I have completed an investment in the 11. I revealed Father's character. I've revealed his plan. I have successfully communicated his message to them. And I have protected them from spiritual threats. Then he says one more thing in his prayer. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. You understand what he just said? Father said to Jesus, go to this earth, communicate to the ones that I have appointed my message. And Jesus says, done, mission accomplished. But then he says, I am going to send them into this world to pick up where I left off. He's authorizing them to follow in his footsteps. And by the way, notice in that John 17, 18 verse, he says, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. I have given them a global mission as disciple makers who will pick up where I left off. You are going to do, he's saying to them, what I have done. This prayer is actually like a graduation ceremony. Jesus is saying, I've done what Father, or on the cross, I've done what Father told me, lay down my life. But here in this prayer, he's saying, and I've also done what Father asked me by communicating vital information to these 11 so that they can pick up where I left off. And that too is done. What if Jesus had only completed mission one? What if Jesus didn't worry about finding any followers or anything like that? He simply came and said to Pilate, I'm here to die on behalf of this sick world. And Pilate says, okay, you got a death wish and took him out to a cross and nobody knew about it. And he died and died for our sins. Would you know about it? Would I? He could have died for all the sins of all men, but no one would know about it if he hadn't completed mission two. Jesus came to the earth to fulfill a twofold mission. He was to go to the cross, but also prepare for what comes after the cross by investing in those who will tell the world what Jesus did. In other words, he went to the cross and then prepared for what has to come after the cross. Namely, that there would be men who are prepared to be able to communicate, here's what happened and here's how it relates to you. So for Jesus, this is a double mission accomplished. He made a way for all men to enjoy life in Christ, that's dying on the cross, and he put in place an effective global communication system. He put in place a means by which all men and all women, all children, can know what Jesus did for them. Jesus completed the, the one mission that only he could. That's the die on the cross. He was the only one qualified to be able to do that. And then he arose. But Jesus also completed 
after that phase, phase two, in which he gave orders to his followers, make him known, report what he did. And this, by the way, I haven't showed you how yet, but this is our one mission, to pick up where Jesus left off. He completed his mission, and now we have ours, which is like the 11, to pick up where Jesus left off and let the world know what has happened. In previous sermons, I reported uh, a kind of a tally of verses that spoke to each theme. So, for example, last week when we talked about one life, we focused in on one passage, John 15, 1 through 8, and I just mentioned there's this many other verses where it's referred to. But this morning, I want to actually scan through a few verses before we really zero in on one, okay? So we're going to read through some one mission verses and make a comment. And then we're going to zero in on one passage that is a one mission passage, but it's also connected to one life. It's going to show you how one life leads to one mission, all right? So here's the first one. This is John 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. That's kind of a hard verse to process, isn't it? I mean, how could something be greater than what Jesus did? And different uh, theologians have wrestled with this. Here's my suggestion for the answer, okay? Because I, I think this makes sense, but I'll talk to Jesus some more about it when we get to heaven because I cannot imagine us doing something that is greater than what he did. But here's what's going to happen. Those 11 shared with others who shared with others who shared with others and with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we are going to actually rescue men and women from every tribe and tongue and nation. And someday we will stand before Jesus, a people who cannot even be numbered. And why, how will that have happened? And the answer is because we embraced the mission. So in that sense, I would say it's possible that we could actually be a part of something, Jesus 1.11, and we can be a part of a process of creating a massive group from every tribe and tongue and nation who stand before him. That truly will be miraculous. It will be a great thing. John 15.16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Jesus says, I've chosen you so that you would go. That involves intentional movement. You're going to actually do some relocation and bear fruit, meaning you're going to produce the kind of things that Jesus produces. And by the way, that fruit is going to endure. There's a line in Revelation 14, 13 that describes the people of God and says their deeds will follow them. In other words, what they've done here on earth is actually going to be a part of what you see in heaven. Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. Those who bear fruit for me in the form of disciples, just as I have done, 
It's going to endure. You're actually going to be able to meet people in heaven and have fellowship with them who would say, you know, you're a part of the reason that I'm here. John 17, 15 says, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. This one's a toughie. Jesus is leaving. And there's a part of him that would really like to take the 11 with him. You know, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But if he did, who would tell people what Jesus has done? Can you imagine what it would be like if any time a person accepts Jesus Christ, they immediately went to heaven and vanished? <laughs> Who would tell people what has happened? If the world is populated entirely by non-believers, who's going to tell them? <laughs> so Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. But I am asking you, Father, to keep them from the evil one. They're going to need spiritual protection. They're going to need spiritual armor like what is, in found, like what is found in Ephesians 6 if they're going to make it. Their theater of operations is going to be the domain of the adversary. They're going to be operating in enemy territory and they're going to need protection. So Jesus prays, and he's a very good prayer, for armor. And we'll talk more about this next Sunday when we talk about one hope. So let's jump into our core passage. This is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it, and then we'll see what it has to tell us about our one mission. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears, bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. May God bless the reading of his word. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm the life source. You remember last week we had the light bulb here. He's the power source. He is the source of living water that animates us and makes us come alive. The father is the vine dresser. He's the one who wants to actually optimize our fruitfulness. And so he prunes. This involves stripping away what detracts from productivity. Right now, father is looking for things to prune, things that he needs to take away in order to improve our productivity for Jesus. Now he says you are already clean. He means that the pruning is not a penalty. If the light bulb is on, if you are connected to Jesus, then you belong to him. Your sins have been paid for, but he is going to prune, that is to take away things that actually hinder your ability to be as fruitful as possible. So here's a question for you. 
What is God pruning in your life right now? Is there a door that is closed? Have you encountered a disappointment? Did things not turn out the way you should? It's possible that that is God's way of saying, I want you to be able to give more of your time and attention to what is going to be more fruitful. Ultimately, there's no such thing as a setback for a true follower of Jesus Christ if we are following Jesus Christ. William Carey made this statement, which I think is so good. I am not afraid of failure. I am afraid of success in things that don't matter. So here's a core exercise for us. Travel light. Celebrate the loss of earthly entanglements as an opportunity to focus more on fruit bearing. Join Stephen Yo in the crazy kind of life in which you are saying, I want to do whatever it takes for the cause of Christ, and that's my focus no matter what. In this passage, true fruitfulness is not possible without a vital connection to the vine. But with it, fruit bearing happens. It's automatic. Now, fruitless followers are fake followers, only suitable for burning. Someone who says, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there is no fruit, that person is deluding themselves because those who are truly connected bear fruit. It's what happens. Someone may appear to be a true branch, but if there is no true fruit, he is not truly belonging to Christ. Now, please understand that fruit is not the cause but the evidence of salvation. In other words, when you are saved, the proof is the fruit. It's not I try and bear fruit so that I can earn salvation. I do like this statement. I've used it for a long time to evaluate my own life. If I were being examined, is there enough evidence to convict me of being a follower of Christ? If somebody followed me around, Watch what I think and do. In this passage, abiders can ask Father for whatever and it will be done. It's actually possible if you are living connected to the light source to be able to say, Father, would you please? And he answers it. Powerful prayer. Abiding in his word means it's our nutrient source. Word-driven prayer gets answered. And then one other thing I would say, as we bear fruit, It makes Father look good. It glorifies him. He's demonstrated as a great fruit producer. So what does it mean to be a branch and produce fruit? And to help you kind of get an idea of this, I've got a little project for you, okay? I would like you to draw up blueprints for an oak tree. Just kind of make a picture of what you need to create. And then I'd like you to design a manufacturing process by which to create that tree. And I'd like you to make it automated to where it just happens of its own accord. And then I would like you to deliver your project to me in a gumdrop-sized thumb drive that has a humidity sensor on it such that when it senses the right moisture, it'll just happen. Anybody feel like they could take that on? Well, let me save you some R&D time and just say, you could just hand me an acorn. (laughs) 
this acorn has within it, and I took these off our property. We live out in the country where we have lots of oak trees, and there's a bazillion of these on the ground, and there's soon to be a bazillion leaves. Yay. Um, this acorn has within it everything that is necessary to grow an oak tree. Uh, this oak tree, now this one's about five or six uh, years old. So this came from this. Now this is not a nuttle uh, acorn, which is a little bigger, but you get the idea. This little thing had inside of it everything that is necessary to produce this. That's what came from it. This is actually the fruit of an oak tree. All fruit is basically a device like what I've described that produces something. So if you're dealing with grapes, they are fruit that when planted will produce a vine. Now to look at this tree, because this tree is four or five years old, there are no acorns on it. In fact, uh, the oak trees where we live, until they get to be about 40 years or older, they, they're not mature enough to produce acorns. But obviously, because these are falling on the ground where I live, we have an oak acorn fell into the ground 40, some of ours are probably 100 years old, a long time ago and grew into a tree. But you know what? It didn't just produce a tree because they are producing now acorns, right? That fall into the ground and that can produce a tree, which can produce acorns, which fall into the ground and produce a forest. You see what I'm saying? This little acorn, which is a piece of fruit, is not just capable of growing a tree. This little acorn is capable of producing a forest of acorn-producing trees. The fruit of the vine is a miracle, just like this acorn, that will produce another fruit-producing vine, that will produce another fruit-bearing vine. And Jesus is saying, that's us. Now, uh, I had a very unusual experience a few churches ago. I, uh, I was meeting a man on a Monday and he was saying to me and he was very alert had it all together and he said uh, okay now I want to plan my funeral it's going to be on Thursday and these are the things I want to have happen I would like this to be sung and <laughs> I'm kind of going this this is very weird and, and so I said to him his name was Jim Jim <laughs> yes yes that's all sounds very good no, no, I want you to, the funeral needs to be on Thursday because that's when my family is going to be here, et cetera, et cetera, and this is what I want to have happen, et cetera, et cetera. Tuesday morning, he died. And we had a funeral on Thursday. And I'm going, who does this? I mean, that was, that was crazy. I love being able to say, you know, everything we're going to do today, he, he mapped out for us. What would you say to somebody who didn't just do that, but who said, now, by the way, uh, get, your, get out your, your phones. I used to say day timers, but we don't use those. Get out your phone, get your calendar, and uh, let's do this. Um, 
Now I'm going to die, uh, not too long from now, but a little later after that, I'm going to meet you here. So go ahead and set up an appointment. It's going to be a post-death appointment, but I want you to plan to meet me in this location. Would you not think that a little strange? And yet that's exactly what Jesus did on this very night. Now, John doesn't record it, but it's found in uh, Matthew 26. And it says this, after singing a hymn, this is in this upper room discourse, they went on to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. In other words, I'm going to die, but after I raise, I'll meet you in Galilee. So go to this particular location, and I'll meet you there. I'm sure that the disciples were thinking, what? That is too weird. I mean, who makes a post-death appointment? Jesus did. And there were a couple meetings in Jerusalem that helped them to understand, no, he really is alive. But he said, I want you to go to this location because I've told you that if you abide in me, you're going to bear much fruit. But I have many more things to say to you that you are not prepared for yet. So I'm going to make an appointment after my death. We're going to meet at this location. And so do you know what the disciples did? What would you do? Go camp out in the location. And here's what Jesus said to them. Therefore, this is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus said in the upper room prayer, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to pick up where I left off. And then after his death, he made the appointment before his death on that very night. He says, go here. I got more to tell you. And he says, you're going to make disciples of all the nations. That's who you are. That's your identity. That's my identity. Make disciples is the main command. Go baptizing and teaching are helping verbs that tell us about the process. And we need to do all three. Teaching, interestingly is focused on helping someone keep all that Jesus commanded. And the nearest command is what? Make disciples. So what that means is if you're going to make disciples, what you're going to do is teach them to make disciples. Jesus is commanding his followers to be disciple makers who make disciple makers to be acorns that make acorns that make acorns that make acorns. That's who we are to be. Jesus prayed in John 17, 18, he said, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. We have been sent into the world. This is enemy-controlled territory. We're going to be protected. But we've got a mission. And that mission is to pick up where he left off in the work of disciple-making. Our earthly mission is to be a church that is making disciple-makers in a world that is hostile and in peril. Remember when I told you about Jesus' next mission? It involves retribution. What I want you to do is imagine that these are railroad tracks right here. And I'm walking on the railroad tracks. But let's also say that I am deaf, meaning I am oblivious to the fact that there is a train coming. 
Now, if you saw me on the track and a train is coming and I'm oblivious, what would you do? Well, you would throw yourself at me to take me off the track to rescue me, right? There's only one problem in this case. We cannot take somebody off the track. We have to convince them to step off the track. And that's what we do as disciple makers. So if it'll help you, what I want you to imagine is trains are coming. I was sharing this concept a few churches ago, and that church actually was right next door to the main rail line going through town. And I love God's punctuation here because I was saying, trains are coming, and then you heard immediately, you know, the thing's going, and I'm loving it. That is designed to help you understand every person you encounter who does not know Jesus Christ is walking on a train track, trains coming, and they're oblivious, and you may be the only one who is capable of telling them what's going to happen. That's our mission. That's why we're here. In the weeks surrounding the missions conference, which is early part of next year, I'm going to actually walk you thoroughly through the process. I'm going to help us all to understand, all right, what does it mean to rescue people? Trains are coming. But what I'm going to do is give you one core exercise that you can use now. And this one actually comes from the ultimate disciple-making mentor, Jesus. And you can actually start using it now. So here's what was happening. Just give some context. Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. But he's making his way through Jericho. And he stops by a sycamore tree. And he looks at that sycamore tree. So I'll go over here to my tree and let, this is no sycamore, and it would not hold up anybody, but maybe a little baby Yoda doll or something. But anyway, so he looks up in the tree and he says, come on down, I need to have dinner with you. And then he goes to that man's house. And this man gets to hear what's incredible information. Now, there's detractors there as well. There, there are people who are saying, what are you doing? This is man's a tax collector. This is the kind of man who is as far from God as anybody could get. He's a sellout to our nation. He's, he's robbing people. What are you doing in his house, Jesus? And Jesus says, well, let me explain. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And then Jesus later explained, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I came here to make intentional contact with lost people, the people you're going to write off. This is my target group. I came to make intentional contact with a particular kind of person who can be characterized as lost. Jesus has placed people around you at work, at school, in your neighborhood, among your friends, 
And he has put exactly the people around you that he knows you're the right person to reach. How do you do that? Well, I'm going to give you one thing you can start doing that will be helpful. You can start by praying. Uh, you know, I've got, a, well, I, I don't want to say anything because I don't want it to go anywhere. But I have certain groups where I am praying. God, would you open the door with this person, with this person, with this person? And then start initiating conversations. And this is the starting point where you discern where someone is at spiritually. Basically, what you're doing is kind of a spiritual audit. Where is this person at? Because did you notice Jesus says, I came to seek and save those who are lost. That doesn't mean everyone in the world because there are a lot of people who would say, oh, I I don't have any problems. I'm doing good. That person's lost and doesn't know it. But this is a person who's capable of admitting, I need some help. So here are some questions you can use with those friends. It could be even a chance encounter. Here's the question. How's it going? That seems like a simple question, isn't it? But just, how's it going? What's your biggest challenge right now? You know, what, what, are, you, what are you facing that you're trying to deal with? I like this question. If you could change one thing in your life, what would it be? This one, you need to know someone pretty well, but what are you trying to do with your life? There are people in your circle right now, and you can go to them and you can ask questions like that, and that's the starting point of doing what we have been left on this planet to do, which is to carry on the mission of Jesus, part two, which is to basically communicate, here's the truth, by which you can be saved. Now I will help you grow and become like Christ and I'm going to help you actually become a producer of acorns. Let me give you uh, oh, a picture of something. Um, this to me is so stunning. I, I have a letter here that I'm going to read to you but I want to explain it. Can you imagine what it would be like to stand in the presence of Jesus when we are called home? So there's going to be a trumpet and a shout. I kind of wonder if what Jesus is going to shout is enough. But there's going to be a shout. And we are going to stand in his presence. And here's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. He's looking forward to that moment. And he's saying, I I can't wait for Jesus to say, Enough! And then I'm coming up. And over here I'm seeing you Thessalonians with me. And he's able to, they're able to say, Paul, part of the reason that I'm here is because of you. You were my acorn. So Facebook, I realize Facebook has become the, the land of geezers and so on. It's, you know, it's not hip and cool, but, you know, some of us still use it. And apparently someone that I knew in high school 
a couple years ago, reached out to me. Uh, his first name is Dan. And he sent me a note, just kind of getting acquainted. And I thought I would read to you some of what Dan told me. Uh, and I'm just reading some excerpts from his letter. Hey, Jim, just spotted you on Facebook and thought I'd drop a note. And then he gets me acquainted with his life. By the way, I'm not sure I ever thanked you for dot, 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 getting saved. When you invited me to listen to Bible tapes at your house and later to First Press, the church I grew up in, I attended the Gitche Gumi retreat, which was a youth retreat, where Denny Ryberg led me to the Lord as a result of listening to his message at the retreat. Thanks for reaching out to me and inviting me to your group and your church. Changed my life for eternity. He went on to seminary, became a pastor. Ends up I had two of Bob Thiem's roommates as professors, Roger Congdon, S.L. Johnson. What a small world. Have a wonderful weekend. I never thought of the huge impact your invitation to listen to those messages would have on my life. Praise the Lord it did happen. Have a wonderful life and ministry, Jim. Definitely looking at catching up topside. Your grateful friend, Dan. That's some stupid high school kid, not him, me, who invited him to a Bible study and invited him to church, and God used that. And so when I hear enough, one of the things I'm going to be able to do is say, Dan, and he's going to say, Jim. That's why we're here. That's our mission. And you and I, are to be fruit-bearing, which is fruit-producing, which leads to more fruit. That's why we're here. That's our mission. So let me give you a couple opportunities. Who is your lost person? Who is someone that God has put in your life that he wants you to be a part of their process of becoming like Dan? So there are three opportunities coming up. This is kind of an advertisement type of thing, but... It'll be helpful to you. On Sunday, November 21, I will be sharing a service that is designed specifically for someone who is dealing with guilt or regret. If you ask questions, what are you dealing with right now? You can bring them to that as your friend and say, hey, my pastor is going to talk about guilt and regret. I'd love to have you come along. Or Wednesday, November 24, that's the Thanksgiving sharing service. That's a perfect place for someone who needs a reminder that God is good. They've been going through hard stuff. Well, bring them. Or Thursday, December 9, is the women's Christmas dinner at the Hilton. Tickets go on sale November 14. For someone who could use a friend. So start praying now. God, who have you put in my circle that I can reach out to? And start a conversation by saying, how's it going? So I'm going to pray for you right now that you will be effective dynamite acorns in a world that desperately needs help. Let's pray. Father, your son came to this planet and he died on the cross. We could not do that. He did. Mission accomplished. Then he came and he also invested in 11 and gave them your message. And they in turn invested in others who invested in others who invested in others who have invested in us.
And we are vitally connected to you and we want to be fruit bearers and we want to bear the kind of fruit that Jesus bore, which is devoted followers of Jesus Christ who are living all in for him. Father, I know that you've already put around each of the people in this room, the people that you want them to minister to. So I'm pleading with you to open their eyes, give them boldness and courage, show them who that person is and what to say. And I pray that they would have the joy of moving forward in the accomplishment of the mission that you have given us when you left. We want to be a church that is accomplishing the mission, that is on mission and is getting it done. Help us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.